If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of John chapter 11. That's where we're going to be studying today. Uh, But just to kind of lay a foundational scripture, in the book of Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 12, it reads like this, return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. This is what the Lord's saying. He's saying this. He goes, all of you that are prisoners of hope. Now, what's the definition of hope? Hope is the expectation. Actually, the, the, the dictionary says this. The eager expectation that something good is about to happen. When you have hope, you have an expectation that something good is about to happen. What the Lord was saying to these people is, those of you that have been prisoners of hope, you've lost a lot. You've you've been through a few rough patches. I want you to return to your fortress, return to the house of God, because I'm about to give you twice as much as you lost. What is a prisoner of hope? What does that look like? A prisoner of hope is a person that chooses. You guys hear me? Everybody say chooses. A person who chooses to make themselves a prisoner of hope, meaning I am choosing to believe that something good is happening. I'm choosing. I, I, what I see is not proving it. The report that I'm constantly receiving does not verify it. But I'm choosing to believe that something good is going to happen. That is a prisoner of hope. I'm choosing to be a prisoner of this. A good example of this is someone who is pregnant, a lady who is pregnant, and they're two weeks past due. All the ladies are like, ooh. If you ever see or if you've ever been around a lady who's two weeks past due, and you have the audacity to say to them, when are you going to have that baby? If you survive that moment, <laughs> this is what they will often say. Any time now. Any time now. The further past due they are, the more they're expecting. They are a prisoner of hope. Any minute, any time, this moment is going to change. I am miserable. See, when, uh, when someone gets pregnant, especially mothers who get pregnant for the first time, it's fun. And then it's not fun. It's cute, and then it's not cute. You're two weeks late, cute and fun are over. We're not taking pictures anymore. You're not putting on Facebook, 36 weeks. No, 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 no. No, 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 you're not taking pictures of your belly. No, 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 you are angry 24-7. But in spite of being angry, in spite of having a lack of answers, because you don't know why you're two weeks late, 
in spite of having a lack of answers, you are a prisoner of hope. You are expecting that any day something's going to change. Any day, any time. When you're a prisoner of hope, you're saying, I don't understand what's happening, but I am not going to stop believing that any day this is going to change. That's what I want to talk to you about because there's two people in the Bible, in John chapter 11, one of them was a prisoner of hope, the other was not, but became a prisoner of hope. And like you, I'm very interested in the second one, because there are seasons when I'm not a prisoner of hope, my faith is vacillating, but I want to be a prisoner of hope. Does, is this going to apply to anybody's life? Are you glad you came so far? All right, good. Because if you're not, I'll bring that beautiful family back up and we can all feel good about life again. Wasn't that a beautiful family? Gosh, that just made my whole day. Absolutely. I love baby dedications, that's for sure. All right, so um, in John chapter 11, Jesus brought a guy named Lazarus back to life. Phenomenal story. But rather than reading it to you, I'm going to show it to you via video. Take a look at this. A man named Lazarus, who lived in Bethany, became sick. Bethany was the town where Mary and her sister Martha lived. This Mary was the one who poured the perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. It was her brother, Lazarus, who was sick. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he received the news that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Teacher, just a short time ago the people there wanted to stone you. And are you planning to go back? The day has 12 hours, doesn't it? So those who walk in broad daylight do not stumble, for they see the light of this world. But if they walk during the night, they stumble because they have no light. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go and wake him up. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had been buried four days before. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. If you had been here, Lord, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask him for. Your brother will rise to life. I know that he will rise to life on the last day. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me will live, even though they die. And those who live and believe in me will never die. Do you believe this? I do believe that you are the Messiah. After Martha said this, she went back and called her sister Mary privately. The teacher is here. Mary arrived where Jesus was, and as soon as she saw him, she fell at his feet. would not have died 
Jesus saw her weeping, and he saw how the people with her were weeping also. His heart was touched, and he was deeply moved. Where have you buried him? Come and see, Lord. Jesus wept. See how much he loved him, the people said. Deeply moved once more, Jesus went to the tomb, which was a cave with a stone placed at the entrance. Take the stone away. There will be a bad smell, Lord. He has been buried four days. Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believed? Jesus looked up. I thank you, Father, that you listened to me. I know that you always listen to me. But I say this for the sake of the people here so that they will believe that you sent me. After he had said this, he called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. He came out. Many of the people who had come to visit Mary saw what Jesus did, and they believed in him. All right, let's unpack it. One of the things that I'd like to point out first is when Mar Martha got word that Jesus was coming... She ran towards Jesus immediately. Now notice, Mary did not come. We're going to get to that in just a second. But Martha ran towards him. When she got to him, she said two things. The first thing she said was this. If you would have been here, my brother would still be alive. Lazarus would still be alive. What is she saying? She is praising him. She is saying, you are so awesome. You are so powerful that that sickness would not be able to be in your presence. She praised him. And then she said something else. And this is the part that really arrested my attention while I was reading it. She said this. And this reveals that she still had hope. She said, even though we missed that window. God still hears you. The Father in heaven still hears you. And she looked at the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and she says, if you pray, whatever you pray will happen. Now what's interesting about that is that she knew that the prayer that she asked for, that that window has closed. And that is so frustrating, isn't it? When you pray for something and God doesn't do it, what happens at that point? For Mary, 
she was completely devastated and she doesn't even want to be around Jesus at that moment. She's so mad at him, she doesn't want to be around him. Martha, on the other hand, she's a prisoner of hope. And she's saying this, do something. Now the idea that Jesus would bring him back to life, I'm going to bet a dollar to a donut it never crossed her mind because nobody's ever done that before. Jesus has healed a lot of people, but he's never brought anyone back to life. So that never crossed her mind, I don't believe. But what I know she was thinking was, you can still do something to make this better. And she was asking him to do that. Many of us have prayed that prayer. God, I don't know what you can do. I've lost the job. If my employer calls me back right now and offers me the job back, that'd be great. But do something. If you've ever lost a loved one in that pain, you just want God to do something. Take the pain away. Sometimes your prayer is not specific because you don't know what to ask for. When you're in a bad marriage, you don't know what to ask for. When you're single, you don't know what to ask for. You're not sure if you want to get married, if you don't, if you want to stay single. You're not sure. But do something. And by asking God to do something, you are a prisoner of hope. You believe that God can turn this around. You don't know how he can turn it around, but you believe that he can turn it around. So what, the, what were the two sentences? She said, number one, she praised him. She said, if you were here, sickness couldn't have been here. Number two, she said, I still believe that you can do something. I just want to let you know that the Lord, that blessed the Lord, and he assured her, he said this, your brother is going to live again. Write this down, and I'm not encouraging anyone to go out and make bumper stickers, but if you were to go out and make a bumper sticker, this would be a good one. Anytime Jesus says no, he's got something better in store. He's backing up and he's looking at, at Mary and he goes, I know you asked me to be here two days ago and I didn't come. I said no to that request, but I got something better in store. Rather than getting rid of the sickness, I'm going to show you that I can overcome death. And sometimes we'll ask God to do something and he'll say, I can do that, but I'm going to let time pass a little bit because I'm going to show you I got something better up my sleeve. I got something better than that. A, a, a cheeky example would be, has anyone here ever been in a dating relationship and you prayed to God that you'd marry that person, but now you look back and you think, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, God. Are you with me, anybody? He's saying... <laughs> I just saw someone... <laughs> I was dating a psycho, and I didn't even know it. I didn't even know it. I didn't even know it. I did not even know it. Psycho! But, but now it's like, thank you, God! Whenever he says no, 
He's saying, I've got something better. But what we've got to do is we can't stop believing. We've got to wrap this around ourselves and say, I am a prisoner of hope. I don't know what is going on. Everything I'm asking for seems to get no, 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 no. But here's the deal. I am forcing myself to be a prisoner. Nobody's putting a gun to my head. I'm choosing to keep on believing. I'm choosing. Now, here's something very interesting. Mary, she was back at the tent. Mad, crying, ticked. I don't know if you've ever been there. I've been there. You ask God to do something, you get a no, and it's just like, why not? Especially when take this lightly when somebody gets their prayer request answered and they're a jerk <laughs> we're going to get real here and what you're asking for you're not a jerk you're nice but they get a yes you get a no and, and they're talking about it. God is good and you're like you should have got a no I should have got a yes Can we be real this morning? Can we? Can we? Some of you are like, you be real, I'm not. <laughs> it, it's very frustrating. So Mary is upset. Mary has got a good relationship with Jesus. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus would open up their home anytime Jesus and the disciples were passing through. They would allow Jesus and the disciples to come into their home, spend the night. They would cook for them. They had a long-standing relationship Mary is completely confused and devastated, and she has withdrawn from the Lord. Martha has not withdrawn. She came running out to him. She praised him, and she's saying, I'm still believing you can do something. Let's look closely at how Jesus responds to people who have withdrawn. He looks at Martha, he talks with Martha, he has a moment with Martha, he promises Martha everything's going to be okay, and then he brings up Mary. He says, go tell Mary, I want to see her. You know what he's saying there? Give me some poetic license if you would. I miss Mary. I want you to know this morning. If you have withdrawn from the Lord, you may have only come to this church just to hear this one statement. The Lord misses you. There is no voice on this planet that sounds like yours. There is no personality that sounds like yours. You are the only one like you. He made you fearfully and wonderfully made. And he misses you. Nobody prays in their head like you do. Nobody prays out loud like you do. Nobody sounds like you do. He misses you. He understands that you're hurt. He understands that you're disappointed. He misses you. He looks at Martha and he says, go tell Mary to come here. Now something very fascinating happens because she's the one, Mary is the one that does not have hope. Martha goes back to the tent and she says, Jesus wants to see you. 
Let's look at how Mary responds. In verse 29, it says like, it reads like this. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep, so they followed her. It is so important that we always remember that delay is dangerous. When you feel the Lord pull on your heart, when that thought crosses your mind, when you feel something deep down in here where the Lord is kind of pulling at you, it is so important that you and I respond immediately. Immediately. Why? Because delay is dangerous. The more we delay, the harder our hearts become. It's very interesting that the Bible refers to hearts becoming seared. What does that mean? That means they used to be tender, but after a while, they start getting hard. If we don't respond immediately, what ends up happening is that our heart starts getting hardened to the Lord. And then what you used to feel, this invitation, this tug, this thought, some of you that have grown up in the church, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The thought crosses your mind. It crosses your heart. You know that the Lord wants you to pray. Just say one sentence, one word, just one acknowledgement. And the more you say no, the more you delay, the harder your heart gets. And so she does a very wise thing. She's mad. She's ticked. She's disappointed. She's confused. She feels the invitation from Jesus and she runs to him. But when she reaches him, she does not say two things. She says one. Mary said two. Let me remind you. She said, Jesus, if you would have been here, she praises him. If you would have been here, the sickness would have been gone and he'd still be alive. And then here's the second thing she said. She said, but I know that if you pray, Something good can still happen. Mary, she said one thing. She ran up, fell on her knees, and she said, If you would have been here, she did praise him. If you would have been here, that sickness wouldn't have been able to stay in your presence. It would be gone and my brother would still be alive. And then she stopped talking. Because in her mind, when she got to know, that was the end. It was over. Shut the door. Slam the gavel. It's over. Let's just be depressed for the rest of our life because God didn't come through. We are going to be upset. We're going to be mad. We're going to be ticked. We're going to cover it up. But in here, we're upset. One was a prisoner of hope. The other one wasn't. How did Jesus respond to her? Well, Mary's heart had a flicker of faith. It was in there. She was cultivating the little bit of faith that she has. See, there's a spark of faith inside everybody. And Paul says, fan that flame, otherwise it's going to go out. She fanned that flame. She did three things. If you're taking notes, write this down. Because these three things bridged the gap 
between being a non-prisoner to becoming a prisoner. The first thing she did is she fell at his feet. Can I just encourage all of us to fall at his feet at least once a day? At least once a day. Every morning, I do the same thing. And if I miss it in the morning, I do it in the afternoon. If I miss it in the afternoon, I do it in the evening. And if I miss it all day, I'm just like, oh, I'm going to do better in the morning. But every morning, my alarm goes off. 5.45, 6 o'clock in the morning, got to do it before the kids wake up. Because when the kids wake up, nothing positive is going to be happening in my life until they are happy. All right? Wake up. The sun's not up. I go up to the guest bedroom, I get a pillow, do the same thing every time, I grab a pillow, I fold it in half, I get on my knees, I put my forehead on the pillow, I squeeze the pillow, and I say, Lord, I love you so much, thank you for everything I have, please forgive me of my sins. Every morning, let me tell friends, falling on his feet Getting on, his, on our knees is the most important thing that you can do all day long. Whatever you do all day long, whatever you do, it is not important. Then get is not more important than getting on your knees. We say going to work. No, 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 no. Don't argue with me. Don't argue. I'm telling you, he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He created your work. He gave you that opportunity. He opened up doors that no man can close. If you only get on your knees for two seconds, get on your knees for two seconds. Because falling on your knees is the most humbling thing somebody can do. And do you know what God does to humble people? He raises them up. He raises them up. The Bible says this. He raises up the humble. But those that are not humble, they're prideful. He opposes you. That is not someone that you want to be opposed with. You want the king of kings and Lord. You say, well, you don't know how I'm living. Don't talk to me about how you're living. Just talk to me about whether or not you're getting on your knees. Just get on your knees. Just say, dear God. Did you hear what I said? Whenever I get on my knees, what's the first thing that comes out of my mouth? I love you. Then what's the next thing? Please forgive me every day. I'm the senior pastor. Dear God, forgive me. Every single day I'm calling on the blood of Jesus Christ. Why? Because I'm a dirty, rotten sinner? Yes, but that's none of your business. Mind your own business. Pull the speck out of your own eye. The reality is that I want the Lord to know that I need him. So that's the first thing she does is she throws herself down. This is so, so important. She's not a prisoner of hope. She thinks it's over, but she still gets on her knees. And then the second thing she does is she says what her sister said. She says this. She says, if you would have been here, the sickness would have ran. Take the time to praise him. You're awesome. You're great. Now, I know what you're thinking in your heart. I'm disappointed and I'm hurt. Praise him anyway. What I've learned, and you can write this down, phrases of praises. Phrases of praises. 
Sometimes you don't have 30 minutes, an hour, 45 minutes, 15 minutes, an hour and 15 minutes, 5 minutes, 10 minutes. You don't have the time to worship him and praise him. But you do have the time to throw out a phrase. You're awesome. You're amazing. You created the world. You're awesome. You're amazing. You created the world. You can be repetitive because God hears more than just your words. You can say, I love you, I love you, over and over again. He hears way more than that. He hears your words, but he also hears the echo of your heart. So it's not like God keeps on saying, you keep saying the same thing over and over again. No, 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 (laughs) no. That's not how God is. He hears the echo of your heart. He hears your voice say, I love you, Jesus, but he hears your heart say, I can't live without you. He hears way more than that. Phrases of praises, phrases of praises. I love you, I love you, I love you. So she praises him. But then, here's the thing, here's the third thing. She lets her heart cry out. She doesn't hide it. Look, the Lord knows when you're hurting. The Lord knows when you're anxious. The Lord knows when you're confused. The Lord knows when you're down. He knows, and he wants you to talk to him about it. If you're a good note taker, let me run over those three things again. First thing, she threw herself on her knees. The second thing is she praised him. And then the third thing is that she let her heart pour out. Sometimes the Lord just wants to hear honesty out of your mouth. He just, if you're thinking about it, if you're feeling it, pray about it. Just let the honesty pour out of your mouth. Every Wednesday night we have service. And the thing I like about Wednesdays is very often I have the opportunity to pray for people on a Wednesday night. We see people get healed all the time. Um, But sometimes whenever I'm praying for a person, we don't have those privileges on a Sunday because things are happening so quickly on a Sunday. And I know you're thinking about lubies and all that other kind of stuff. So we got to get you out of here so you can go eat. Um, But on Wednesdays, we kind of take our time a little bit. And sometimes whenever I'm praying for someone, I'll say to them, say, I love you, Jesus, over and over again, because they want me to just pray for them and they want to just stand there. And I'll say, And sometimes that's okay. But every once in a while I'll say, say I love you Jesus over and over again. And they'll start saying I love you Jesus over and over again. And do you know what happens sometimes? Their eyes fill up with tears and tears come running down because what is happening for the first time in a long time, they just let their heart break. Just let it break. And sometimes we just need to just let it break. And then what ends up happening is that hope begins to wrap itself around you. See, sometimes we got to wrap ourselves around faith. And then sometimes when we're not strong enough, hope will come to you and you will feel faith rise up inside of you. And you'll think, where did this belief come from? Just two hours ago, I was down and discouraged. Hope came running to you. There's one scripture that says that when faith and hope met, oh man, it's so beautiful. It just wraps itself around you. And so Jesus looks at Mary, who had been struggling, and said, Go get your brother. And he pulls the brother out of the grave. He causes a heart to start beating. See, God can change a heart. But when he pulled the person out of the grave, 
Jesus did not go take the grave clothes off. He changes hearts, but he looks at us to take the clothes off. See, what's interesting is there's a lot of people that you and I live life with, and they have grave clothes on. They only know one way to live, and it's leading towards death. They only know one way. It's not their fault. They only know one way. They don't even know that Celebration Church exists. They don't even know that God is a loving God, not a mean God. They don't know that God can change the tide of the battle every time they pray. They don't know that. God's softening their heart. But somebody's got to show them another way. That's why I'm always saying all the time, we've got to invite people to come to church. We've got to show them another way. We've got to. Uh, my son plays basketball, and there's two families that are on the team, and I've been staring at these two families for two or three weeks, and I'm like, you guys are coming to our church. You don't know it yet. I'm investing right now. I'm bringing you brownies, but you're coming to church. You invest and then invite, invest and then invite, invest and then invite, because we got to get the grave clothes off. And that's not Jesus' responsibility. That's yours. He deals with the heart. You and I deal with the lifestyle. Say, so, hey, there's another way. There's another way. Now, there's three spirits, three demonic spirits that I want to talk to you about this morning. If you've been coming to church here for a long time, I don't really talk a lot about demonic spirits because I just feel if I stay laser focused on Jesus, he'll take care of the rest. And I want you to adopt that attitude. But it's so important that I bring these three spirits in particular up because what I've seen is that these three spirits are the three spirits that keep people from being arrested or a prisoner of hope. The first spirit... Uh, I see more than the others. Now, keep in mind, there's, there's probably hundreds, but there's three in the scriptures that I see that I'm seeing in this day and age as well. The first one is a tormenting spirit, a, a vexing spirit. This spirit is often when you see a person who is constantly depressed, down, anxious, worried, that could be a vexing spirit, a tormenting spirit. Now, a lot of times, you're just having a bad day and it has nothing to do with demons at all. And uh, I know people that everything is a demon. I'm just like, oh my goodness. <laughs> Go talk to somebody who believes you because I just don't. You know, if it rains on the day that you wanted it to be sunny, I'm just not, uh, I just don't think that was a demon. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm really sorry. You run out of gas and you had to pull over and had to walk 50 miles to go get gas. That wasn't a demon. You should have put gas in your car. Are you with me? Are you with me? You know, somebody got offended with you and yelled at you because you had bad breath. That wasn't a demon. You should have, you should have did what you needed to do. Um, but here's the thing. When depression is prolonged... And when you find that constantly you're down and discouraged and you're worrying, you can't sleep, you're anxious, you're worried. Depression is when you see no need to keep on living. You don't understand. It's never going to get better. It's never going to get better. If I had another post, I would put it over here and I would wrap because you're wrapping yourself up, not with hope, not with the expectation that something good is about to happen. You've got the exact opposite it's 
The expectation that nothing is ever going to change. And that is a tormenting spirit. I might as well quit the marriage because nothing's ever going to change. Um, I might as well just, just, just stop trying to save money because nothing's ever going to change. I might as well just stop trying to diet because it's never going to change. I, I might as well just stop trying to make that relationship better because it's never going to change. My boss is always going to be a jerk. It's never going to change. There's a, the relationships at work are never going to get better. It's never going to change. That, my friends, is a tormenting spirit that's trying to keep you from from a side to wrap yourself around hope. It's a tormenting spirit. The second spirit that I see oftentimes that is very prevalent in this world is a deceiving spirit. A deceiving spirit says that everything in this Bible does not need to be taken literally. That you build your own theology. Well, I don't have to do that. I'm, that's going to be okay. Here's the thing I hear about all the time. I'm still going to go to heaven. I mean, come on. God's not going to send me to hell for that. Well, you know, it's, a tor- it's, it's a deceiving spirit. The Bible actually calls it this way in one particular translation. A different kind of truth. A different kind of gospel. You know, these people, you can identify them pretty quickly. Because their heart is no longer tender. They have come up with a new theology that is not in the Bible. All of their sentences sound like this. Well, I just think. Well, I just believe. I just think. I just believe. Well, thank you for telling me what you think. And thank you for telling me what you believe. Unfortunately, you have come up with that on your own. Because it is nowhere inside of this Bible. And if you think for one second you're going to stand before God and God's going to go, oh, is that what you thought I thought? Well, let him in. (laughs) You thought I meant that? Oh, my bad. I should have put it in black and white. I did put it in black and white. Oh, you just thought that you were just going to get in because you're just awesome. Look, here's the thing. Regardless of how awesome you think you are, regardless of how good looking you think you are, how pretty you think, how popular you think you are, how much swag you think you have, here's the reality. If you come up with a different way of living, we will be able to tell before you will. Because the eyes are the reflection of the soul. And your look on your face when we talk about the things of God will look like this. Game starting yet? Time to go to Luby's yet? Okay, cool. Because you know why? Your heart is seared. You've come up with a different revelation. I know. I know this is not the message that a pastor is supposed to preach to build a big, huge church. I know that. But I'm not interested in building a big, huge church. I'm interested in building the kingdom of God and making sure that you get there. You get there. You get there. My, my wife and I have been on staff at mega churches. They're awesome. They're cool. I, I'm interested in, in getting you to heaven. 
Now, the megachurches are getting people to heaven. Don't try to, say, don't, don't try to twist this on me, okay? <laughs> I'm focused on one thing. I want the truth to look you right in the face and to put you in a position to make a decision. The very last spirit that I see roaming is territorial spirits. Let me see if I can use a, a biblical passage to share with you what I'm talking about. Jesus was on a boat. He was going across the Sea of Galilee. He saw this man once the boat docked, started running towards him, and the guy was possessed with spirits like crazy. And Jesus was getting rid about to, he was, he was this far away to rebuke in all of those spirits, to take all those spirits out of them. But right before he did it, those spirits spoke through that guy and said this, if you're going to rebuke us, throw us into those pigs. We already know you're going to take us out of this body, this person, but don't throw us to hell. Throw us in the pigs. Do you know why they wanted to get thrown into the pigs? Yes, they wanted the man. But if they can't have the man, at least let us keep the territory that we've been fighting for for so long. Yes, Satan is after you. But do you know what Satan wants as much? Your house, your territory, your property. He wants the property. Why? Because he knows that when people come walking into your property, that there's an atmosphere. There's an atmosphere, and he does not want to give up that atmosphere. There's one uh, place in, in, the, in the mall. I haven't been in that store, and I'm just going to pick 10 years, 15 years. Because when I walked into that store, I walked in, and I went, I felt like I needed to go take a shower. And that store is in every single mall, and I'm not going to name the store because one of y'all probably worked there, and I'm going to feel like an idiot. <laughs> but there's this one particular store that's in every single mall in America. I walked in there about 10 or 15 years ago, and I was like, I don't know what's in there, but I'm not going in there ever again. an atmosphere in there. It's not the employees that the enemy wants. Yeah, the enemy wants those employees just as bad as he wants me and you. It's that atmosphere. It's that, if there's a hundred thousand, if there's 150 stores in the mall, the enemy owns that one. Just so people don't think I'm crazy, raise your hand if you think you know what store I'm talking about. Thank you. Thank you. Just for the visitors in the room that are sitting close, I don't want them to think I'm crazy. Would you raise your hand one more time and just keep it up? Come on, put it up. Raise your hand. You raise it the first time. Raise it the second time. Look at all those hands. You know exactly what I'm talking about. There's an atmosphere. That atmosphere wants your house. 
It wants your apartment. It wants your office. It wants your car. And when that atmosphere begins to creep in, it pulls you. It pulls you. Come here, Omar. It, it pulls you. Omar may be doing the very best he can to, to be a prisoner of hope, but it pulls you away. It pulls you. And so he's pulling to be a prisoner of hope. The enemy's pulling you away from it. You want to be a prisoner of hope, but there's this big battle going on. What you got to do and what I got to do is to change the atmosphere to where this demonic pull can't be in that atmosphere you can't plant sunflowers in alaska and expect much why the atmosphere is too cold for that thank you omar you know what's interesting about sunflowers i know i'm going along the sunflowers the sun rises over here watch what a sunflower does Sunflower follows the sun. That's why they call it sunflower. Some of you are like, ah, I got it. <laughs> I knew that. I knew that. It follows the sun. And I want to tell you, when we follow the sun, when we follow the sun, we change the atmosphere and for for that they can't demons can't live when we change the atmosphere it's like they can't breathe it's like they're living on the moon <laughs> let me give you three verses psalms chapter 20 verse 2 may he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from zion when you're in the sanctuary you get automatic help how many of you feel stronger right now than you did before you walked in? You get help. That's why it's so important to come to church. If you don't like this church, find another church. Stay in the sanctuary. Psalms chapter 22, verse 3. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabits the praises of Israel. Do you know what that means? That wherever there's praise, God is there. So you take your iPhone or your Samsung and you get praise and worship music and you set it in your office. It's almost like God hears the praise. Woo! I'm coming. He hears it. You walk into somebody's house and, and they don't believe in God. You just walk in there and pray that praise and music. <laughs> because God will hear it and come over there. He inhabits the, wherever there's praises, that's where he is. You change the atmosphere. The very last thing, James chapter 5, verse 16. The effectual fervent, everybody say fervent. Prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That word fervent is incredibly important. That word fervent is like praying with passion. I've said this a million times before, let me say it again. When I pray for my breakfast in the morning, on a scale 1 to 10 on fervency, it's a 1. Thank you, Jesus, for these pancakes and this bowl of cereal. Amen. It's a 1. When I'm praying for somebody's sickness to go away, when I'm praying for an open door of opportunity, when I'm praying against a battle that has come into my life, when I'm praying against somebody that's trying to hurt me or destroy me, 
I'm not praying a one on the intensity scale. Oh, we going to turbo mode. We're going to fervency. Dear God. And you can say the same thing over and over again if you want to. Remember what we said earlier. He hears the echo of your heart as much as he hears your words. Dear God. You say, I'm telling you, when I pray in the morning, I don't want to wake up the family. So it sounds like this. If you're a parent, you know how to do that. It's a yell whisper. Sounds something like this. Do that one more time. Do that one more time. I'm going to beat you when we get home. When we get home, I'm going to take my belt off and beat you all over the place. Do that one more time. All parents know how to yell whisper. The, the, the seasoned parents, you've got to have more than one kid to be able to do this, is to yell with your mouth closed. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. I'm going to kill you. The real, you guys are making me have fun now. But the parents that, are, that have been doing that a while, they don't even have to do that. They just go like this. Just, I remember being a kid on the front row at church. We were playing, building up a Lego set. We had like, a, we had just like NASA Legos. Do, 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 do. On the front row at church, the preacher was up there preaching. And I looked up across it. I saw my mom and she was like this. Looking right at me. Not the, not the preacher, just right at me. And I was like. My buddy was like, what's wrong? What's wrong? 